I am so thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, we've kind of been in and out of sanctuary for about a year, actually. Uh, my wife uh, found the sanctuary a couple, couple years back through social media, because uh, you guys have a strong social media game. Um, and so we, we reached out to Pastor Andrew, started getting to know uh, Sanctuary a little bit, and it's, it's been a fun journey. It's been exciting. Uh, and then we officially moved to Providence in September. Uh, that's when we got on the ground. That's when we started paying rent again. Um, you know, one of the hardest questions I have to answer for people is where I'm from. People, when people ask me, hey, where are you from? Um, I usually kind of stutter a little bit. My wife kind of and I make, you know, look at each other like we don't know how to answer that question. Uh, most recently, I'm from Virginia. Um, we've spent about six years uh, doing schooling, working for a church down in Virginia. And uh, it's the South. Uh, they say things like y'all down there. And uh, I got... I tried really hard not to take on too much of uh, that culture, um, but we loved it. We, we, it was a great experience there. Uh, actually, one of my first, uh, I had some culture shock when I moved down there. One of the first classes I walked into, uh, the professor came in, and he looks up at everyone, and he says, all right, now I want you all to put your phones up. And so I pulled my phone out of my pocket, and I hold it up in the air, and I started looking around, and I realized out of the 60 people in the room, I was the only one with my phone up in the air. Uh, and what I realized very quickly was the professor was saying, put your phones away, like turn them off, like put them in a bag, like it's time for class to start. And so I thought I was being like a really good, you know, you know teacher's pet, good student, uh, and it turns out I, I was actually being like edgy and like a smart aleck. So uh, that, that didn't work out well for me. Uh, six years in Virginia, I'm actually, I typically tell people I'm from New York, upstate New York. Uh, that's where I lived most of my life. Um, I, I'm kind of used to New England winters, although Virginia's kind of made me weak. Um, I need to kind of re rehabilitate myself to, to the cold. Um, but I'm not actually really even from New York. Um, I, I was born in the Ukraine. My parents are Ukrainians. I uh, lived about eight years of my life in the Ukraine. Um, and every now and then, uh, I'll be reminded of this fact because I, when I'm teaching or when I'm saying something, uh, I'll, I'll slip up with my language and I'll say things kind of funny. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, I was trying to use this metaphor of, you know, it's important to like get your foot in the door uh, or get like a leg up in the game, but instead I kind of merged them together and I told my wife, you know, it's, it's just going to be such a great opportunity to get your, your, your leg up in the door. Um, and so I was trying to imagine what that looked like. Uh, I do that way too much. I say all that to say I, I don't feel like I've really had a home to return to. When we were finishing up uh, school and I got married, uh, we were praying about, Lord, where do you want us to go? Uh, we don't really have like a home to return to. Where, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Um, and we visited Providence during that time, fell in love with the city, uh, the culture, the people, the history, the food, the coffee. Um, it was just we knew this is a place where we could settle down, um, buy a house, make some babies, um, and just establish ourselves in this city. Um, you know, when I was preparing, uh, starting to think through what I wanted to teach on uh, this, this Sunday morning, uh, my mind automatically jumped to, I mean, it's New Year's New Year's Eve, we have you know, all the um, New Year's Eve resolutions and all the things that we want to do in this next year. So maybe we can put together some kind of plan on how we're going to be a better you know, church to the city of Providence. Uh, you see, naturally, I tend to be a doer. 
Uh, I tend to be someone who leans towards task lists, and I'm, and I'm task-oriented, and I love, I love uh, having a list of everything I'm trying to accomplish. Uh, and then I, uh, when Pastor Andrew asked me to, uh, to kind of tie it into this idea of first seek, I, I was humbled and I was convicted uh, because uh, I want to do things, and I don't always naturally stop and just wait and sit at the feet of Jesus uh, you know, when Jesus was ascending into heaven, he's telling a few like, final thoughts to his disciples, and uh, he looks at them and he says, uh, uh, before you do anything else, I want you to go into the upper room, uh, I want you to shut the door, and I want you to wait and pray. Wait and pray. Uh, these were people that had been with Jesus for three years. Uh, they knew Jesus' teachings. They knew his methods. They knew how to do ministry. They had done the work of the Lord. And the first thing Jesus tells him to do is wait and pray. The lesson there was that it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter uh, what plans you have. If the Holy Spirit's not in it, if you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, it's all for naught. Right? We start with prayer. We start with seeking first the kingdom. Uh, if you've been in the church uh, at all, like I grew up in, in a church, my, fa- my parents are believers. Um, if you've been in the church at all, you know exactly where this phrase, seek first the kingdom, comes from. It comes from uh, Matthew chapter, I believe, 5 or 6, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus' most famous and most controversial sermons. Uh, even if you haven't been in the church, if you're just visiting here for the first time, you don't really know what to think of this Jesus guy, I, I'd, I'd wager to say that you probably have heard portions of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount at one point or another in your life. It's that famous and it's that controversial. Uh, at Jesus' time, it was kind of edgy. And even today, to this day, it's still kind of hard for us to grasp what is he trying to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I actually read an article a couple of years back about a teacher who was trying to uh, help her students to think critically about other beliefs and other religions. And so she took Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. She took out all of the, uh, the identifiers, the names, anything that would make it identifiable as, as, as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and she gave it as an assignment to her students. Uh, and the goal was, you know, read through this over the weekend, come back with an essay written on what you think about it, right? Is it, you know, do you like it? Do you hate it? What do you like about it? Um, and each of those students, when they came back, um, were just flabbergasted about the impossibility of it all. The things that Jesus was calling them to do were just impossible to do on your own. He says things like, you know, you've heard it said, uh, don't murder people, right? It's a good thing in society to not try to kill one another. He says, but it's not enough for us to not murder one another. If you even look at someone with anger in your heart, you've already murdered them in your heart. He tells them, uh, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, right? Faithfulness to your spouse is a good thing. Jesus takes it to a whole new level. He says, if you even look lustfully upon someone who's not your spouse, you've already committed adultery in your heart. This is where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek. This is where he talks about not judging others. This is where he talks about, uh, blessed are you when people persecute you. Right? There's some difficult lessons in there. And I, I love it. He ends with this, with, with this uh, challenge that, you know, you're told to, to love your, your neighbors and you're told to love your family and friends. But it says, what good is it if you love your family and your friends? Anyone can do that. 
what makes you truly a Christ follower, truly a person of peace, truly a follower of the kingdom of heaven is when you learn to love your neighbor. I mean, your, your enemy. That's the one. When you learn to love your enemy. That's hard. You don't live something like that out unless you've had a heart change. Unless you've had a heart change. In the midst of that, he's talking about uh, anxiety and worry and uh, the things that typically preoccupy our, our minds. You know, what are we going to eat this week? What are we going to drink this week? What am I even going to... We're worried right now about what we're going to wear to survive the New England winter, right? And Jesus says, don't worry about any of that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. In essence... Set your priorities on that which matters most, God, kingdom of heaven, and trust him with the rest. Uh, as I was wrestling through uh, how, how do I illustrate this, uh, I couldn't think of a better example uh, of seeking first uh, than the story of Mary and Martha uh, in Luke chapter uh, 10, I believe. Yeah, Luke chapter 10. Uh, in this story, Jesus walks into uh, a, king, uh, a, new, uh, a new village, and uh, this woman named Martha welcomes him into her home, and she starts to prepare a, a, a food for him and, and prepare the place for him. Uh, and as Jesus is teaching the disciples, Martha's sister Mary is sitting at the, at the feet of Jesus, um, and Martha gets a little frustrated with her. You guys ever have, you know, someone that's in your family or a roommate or someone who doesn't kind of pull their weight? And after, for a while, you can, you can kind of go with that. But after a while, you just get frustrated. All right? I need you to pull your weight. I need you to help me out here. And so Martha goes to Jesus. Uh, she, uh, she bears her heart to Jesus. And Jesus gently rebukes her and, and tells her this. Actually, let's back up and read the, the whole story. Luke chapter 10 Verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, uh, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. You know, I, I, we, in this story, you know, Martha is, is sort of the, the bad person, uh, even though that's not really true. But Martha is the one that welcomes Jesus into her home. That's a good thing. Martha is the one that's hospitable. That's a good thing. Martha is the one that's working hard. She's preparing uh, and serving and, 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 and acting in love towards Jesus. That's, that's, those are all good things. Uh, and I love how Pastor Andrew mentioned earlier, we get, we get kind of boggled down by all these good things that we need to do. And Jesus points out that sometimes you just need to sit at my feet. Just come and sit at my feet. Do what Mary is doing. And that's a whole other sermon. Mary at the feet of Jesus Right, the way that Jesus treats Mary in a culture where women weren't allowed to be disciples like this. I love it. He welcomes her. He invites her to come and just be at his feet. Uh, and he's even gentle and tender towards Martha in rebuking her. He's not telling her, oh, Martha, you're just, 
you've lost it. You, you're, you're off the deep end. He, he gently rebukes her and says, Martha, Martha, here, there's a better thing for you here. See, in many ways, I resonate with Martha. I tend to be more of a Martha than a Mary. Okay? Uh, I need to be reminded sometimes to slow down, to pause, uh, to, uh, to be more like Mary. Uh, when I gave my life to Jesus at the age of, uh, I think, 15 or 16, uh, I started to uh, immediately get involved in, in the church. I started to, uh, to serve however I could, you know, doing my, my task-oriented thing, just jumping in and, and getting involved. And I remember uh, when I was 16, I had a really crazy year. Uh, during that year, um, I had some, some friendships that started to kind of change and, 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 and turn. Uh, I had some relationships that ended, and, and it was a painful time. Uh, but most most importantly, when I was 16, my dad, who uh, had brain cancer at the time, passed away. For a year and a half, we wrestled with, uh, with, this, with this brain cancer, and I uh, went to doctors, and I watched it mess with him and change his personality, and his body was kind of falling apart. Uh, and uh, when, when I was 16, he finally went home to be with the Lord. And uh, I remember, obviously, that's, that was a difficult year. And I had, and had two options in that. I could either claw for my own control, right, scramble and claw and try to uh, t- uh, take advantage of whatever I could, uh, whatever control I had remaining, uh, or I could surrender and seek Jesus first. Um, that year is the first time that I remember really starting to, uh, to seek Jesus, to sit at his feet, uh, to spend time listening to his voice. I started doing uh, uh, this, this practice of prayer journaling, uh, which I'll talk about in a, in a little bit. Uh, but this time with Jesus became uh, a, a, um, a sweet deepening in my life. Right? Uh, my, my dependence upon Jesus grew. My intimacy with Jesus grew. And this kind of became like a home base for me. Every time that life got a little crazy, every time that uh, life got a little difficult, every time that I got a little too busy and I lost focus on what was most important, I would return back to sitting at the feet of Jesus. It was like a home base for me. What I wanted to do this morning is, uh, is share with you three key lessons that Jesus taught me uh, during this time frame of my life. Um, I could probably share 20, but I narrowed it down to three. Um, First and most importantly, um, it takes intentionality to seek Jesus. It takes intentionality to seek first. Uh, You don't stumble upon sitting at the feet of Jesus. You don't do it by accident. Uh, there's no better example of this than Jesus himself, right? Uh, in, at the peak of his ministry, at the peak of his popularity with thousands of people following him, what does he regularly and habitually do? He sneaks away and he spends time with his father. He is intentional about that. It doesn't matter how busy he was. doesn't matter how popular he was. doesn't matter how important he was. Sometimes he's in the middle of a, an important ministry part of his life and he literally just leaves the crowds to go and, and be with his father, right? Jesus is our example of that. Life is always going to be busy. You're never not going to be busy. You're never not going to have things to do. Uh, in my pocket, I've got a tiny computer that can keep me entertained for hours, for weeks, for years, right? I'm always going to find something to keep me busy. 
And so I need to be intentional if I'm going to seek first. During that time, Jesus taught me a lot about uh, the fact that it takes humility to seek first. Uh, being a doer, being task-oriented, uh, I tend to lean towards being prideful. That's something that the Lord has been challenging in my heart for, for a long time now. I tend to think of myself as a, a generally good person, and that's not a good thing. right? The Bible is very clear that God hates pride. There's very few things that God really, truly hates, and pride is one of them. Right? He talks about how both the Old and the New Testament talk about how God actively opposes those who are proud. If I'm going to seek first the kingdom, if I'm going to spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus, I can't do it from an attitude of pride. I can't do it because, man, it's another checkbox on my list, and, I'm, man, I'm doing so great today. I'm such a great Christian today. I've sought first the kingdom. There's, there's a story in, in, a, in Luke chapter 14 of, of, a, of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And if you know anything about Pharisees during this time, they're the religious uh, um, elites. They were, uh, they were uh, very religious, very committed to the word of God. Uh, honestly, they probably would be more like the evangelicals. They're very committed to scripture. Uh, they really wanted to make sure they were obedient to the word. Uh, and so even when things like tithing, you know, they didn't just give 10% of their money. Like if they went to the grocery store and picked up a little canister of rosemary, they'd make sure they set aside 10% of that for the Lord as well. Like everything was so meticulous for these religious Pharisees. And so uh, this Pharisee walks into the temple and he makes sure he finds a nice spot in the temple where his voice will echo off the walls so that people can hear his prayers, right? And he says, oh God, thank you so much that I am, uh, I'm so good at being a Christian I'm so good uh, at, uh, at tithing, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm not at all like those sinners out there who are doing all sorts of bad things. So thank you, Lord, for that. Um, and on the other side of the temple, you see Jesus talked about this man called the tax collector, which, again, if you know anything about biblical first century, the tax collectors were the sellouts. They were the ones who... Uh, would oppress their neighbors and their friends and their family. And so if Rome asked for like 20%, they would make sure to ask for 25, just so they can keep the extra five. All right? These were the worst of the worst uh, in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. And this tax collector finds a quiet corner, and he starts to beat his chest, and he says, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Jesus tells us that out of those two people, it's the tax collector that walks away justified. It's the tax collector that walks away having been with God, not the Pharisee. And it's that humility that was so critical there. Um, the last lesson that I wanted to share that the Lord really worked in my heart was authenticity. It takes authenticity to seek first the kingdom. This is an area where I, being prideful, right, I tended to lean towards, man, I want people to know how spiritual I am, right? That was a big moment where the Lord had to grow in me and, and change me and, and still continues to do that. Uh, and so earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus starts to really call out uh, the religious hypocrites. You guys are just doing this for your own show. You're just doing this for your own holiness, your own glory. You want people to think you're so great. 
man, those, those, those Pharisees, they're so uh, spiritual and so godly. And Jesus is calling them out because they're not interested in actually seeking God. They're interested in their own glory, their own uh, uh, good looks, whatever. And Jesus gives a really interesting antidote to these people, right? Here's what you need to do. If you really want to test your motivation, am I truly, authentically seeking Jesus? He says, here's what you need to do. Uh, go find um, a, a closet in your house, okay? Uh, climb in, close the door. Then seek first the kingdom. All right? If, if, you're, if you're in there, in the closet, by yourself, in the, in the dark, light, whatever, uh, n- nobody expects you to be doing anything spiritual in a closet, except for maybe the person sitting next to you now that knows that you're sitting in a closet to spend time with Jesus. Um, the, the, the room that Jesus is talking about was a pantry. It was nothing significant, right? This was not the place where you go to do great spiritual things. It's a place where you store your dried goods. And Jesus says, in that space, pray to your father in secret, and your father will hear what you have to say. So if you ever want to feel a little bit foolish but truly test your motivation, I mean, today, go back home, climb into your closet, close the door, and spend some time seeking Jesus. You'll know very quickly whether your motivation is to really truly love and sit at the feet of Jesus or if your motivation is to look good, look spiritual. Uh, if you're here and you're, and, you, and you're more of a doer and, uh, and task-oriented and you need, you need some pointers on like, how, how do I do this? Uh, it's okay. Uh, own it. Be who you are. Um, Maybe sometime this week, and, and I know Pastor Andrew's going to come up and he's going to share some, some more practical ways that we as a church are going to do this. But maybe sometime this week you need to set aside 30 minutes. Uh, that's just you're, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus time. All right, make sure it's a place that's, that's quiet. Make sure it's a place that's, uh, that's uh, free of distractions. Leave your phone somewhere else. Um, and just spend some time seeking Jesus. Bring your Bible, bring your pen, bring a journal. A couple of years back, I started the, the habit of prayer journaling. And I'm not much of a dear diary person. I don't like to record, like, everything I've eaten the day before and, like, uh, everything that's been said to me. That's not really what I'm talking about. Uh, I, but I do find it helpful for me uh, to record some of my prayers kind of like a letter to God. Uh, and I write them down in a prayer journal. So if you go to my house, there's about three or four journals that are full of prayers to Jesus. Uh, and if you read some of the earlier ones, they're super embarrassing. All right, the things that I was struggling with, the things that were going on in my life, I'm like, what? How could I possibly have dealt with that? That's so embarrassing. It's so foolish. It's so stupid. But I realize now that I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for wrestling through that with the Lord then. Okay? So when I prayer journal, I do it because... Uh, it gives me a space to be vulnerable and honest with the Lord, right? I can just bear my heart out. Like Martha coming to Jesus and just being honest. Jesus, I'm doing this all by myself. Mary's not even helping. This is frustrating, right? You don't need to censor yourself in your prayer journal. Just go and be who you are. I love prayer journaling because it gives me a focused time with the Lord. I get distracted so quickly, so easily. And so by writing out my prayers, it gives me a space to, um, to just have a focused time with the Lord. 
And lastly, it gives me a record, a record of what the Lord has done in my life, of the ways that he's changed me, the, way, the ways that he's grown me, and the ways that he's made me more like him. It reminds me uh, that I didn't have it all together then, and I probably don't have it all together now. Um, I actually, what I did is I, I went out to, the, to Target, uh, our favorite place uh, in the world, uh, and I bought about nine or ten journals. Uh, if you're here this morning and you don't have a prayer journal, you want one, uh, first nine people, I, I'd love to give you one. It's on me. It's free. Um, if more than nine people come, I'll, I'll go buy more. Tell me. This is that important to me. Let me close with this. Over the past um, couple of months or so, uh, a couple of friends of, uh, of mine and, and my wife and I, we've been reading through the gospel, uh, the gospel, the book of Acts. Uh, we're here uh, as, a, as missionaries, as church planters, or so they tell us, um, and we're supposed to be starting a church here. And so we figure, what's, what's, a be- the, what's better than just spending time learning about the start of the church? Uh, what, what issues they went through, how the Holy Spirit worked in them and through them, uh, and so we were reading, and actually just this week, we were reading in Acts chapter 4, where the disciples perform a miracle, and it's awesome, uh, and they're brought before the religious leaders, and uh, they boldly declare the gospel in a way that you wouldn't, um, I mean, it would be terrifying to be in their shoes, but they're so bold in their declaration of the gospel. Uh, and something interesting happens. You see, the religious leaders know right away, these guys aren't very educated. They're not very smart uh, they're not uh, uh, highly trained. And they say this about them in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I think sometimes we, we, we start to believe that in order to truly be used by Jesus, I need to be you know, I need to know everything about the Bible. I need to uh, be a professional missionary. I need to be a professional Christian in order to really be used by God in my city. No. You need to be with Jesus. Let it be known of us as a church that we have been with Jesus. That we've sat at the feet of Jesus. That we've sought first the kingdom. We can start out uh, 2018 with all these grandiose plans and New Year's resolutions and uh, all the things that we're going to give up in a month. Supposedly, we're going to be doing the whole 30. Uh, We'll see if we start it eventually. All right, we're doing it. They're telling me we're doing it. We can do it. (laughs) Chances are we're going to forget about all of our grandiose plans. But if we spend time seeking first the kingdom, Let's allow Jesus to lead us, the Holy Spirit to direct us, to give us the boldness, the courage, the words to say, to truly use us. Let me pray. Father, I am so, so thankful for this thing you call the church. The fact that we're not in this alone, we're in this together. The fact that we can pursue and devote ourselves and love you. The fact that we can pursue and devote ourselves to one another. The fact that we can love our city. As we seek you, Father, would you humble our hearts? 
Would you prepare our hearts? Would you still our hearts? Um, Father, would you, uh, out of that, spring us out into uh, actions of love towards our neighbors and our coworkers and our city? We love you, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.